hovering over the skies of a post-Christian society, we have spotted a man with a donut in one hand and rosary beads in another. Child, I'm about to whoop Satan's behind. He is boldly proclaiming truth and reason like no rigid Catholic ever has before. The David L. Gray Show begins now. Welcome back in to the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason. Um, if you can, hit that like button so more people can see the show, can find this podcast. This is a new thing I'm doing on Wednesdays. It's called um, Catholicism This Week. I think that's what I'm going to call you, Catholicism This Week, where I'm going to bring on a guest and talk about matters of substance. Today, um, Jason Izzo will be joining me. He's a good friend from Columbus, Ohio. He's a parishioner at, I think, St. Leo Oratory, which is a uh, an oratory under the auspices uh, that's being directed by the Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest. So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to talk about his journey from the Norvis Ordo to um, the Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest. So that's going to be interesting. Um, but we're going to start off, we're going to talk about Divine Mercy Sunday. That's coming up this Sunday. So we're going to talk about some of the objections to it and uh, just give some of our perspective, our, our experience on that. Monday, I had put out a video about Michael Knowles um, over at Daily Wire and his extreme position on the death penalty. And I knew I was going to get some negative blowback. I mean, as, as a traditional Catholic on YouTube, there's just some sacred cows, some sacraments that you can't really touch. <laughs> you know, you can't talk about uh, certain things. And I guess that's any culture, you know, as if, if, even in like the black American culture. If you're other, if, uh, if you're around other people of that culture, there's certain things you can't talk about. You just can't. You can't say Barack Obama was like a horrible president. He sucked. He was probably gay, married to a transvestite. That's just something you can't say. You'll get kicked out of the barbecue. So, um, so yeah, it, <laughs> with the traditional Catholics, there's just some things you you, you can't say. You can't um, talk about uh, Taylor Marshall, right? You'll instantly lose about 20 subs as a YouTuber. Same thing with a death penalty. So I expected some negative blowback. But what I did not expect um, was just the lack of substance, lack of um, lack of being informed in, in the comments section. I didn't know people would be so uninformed about Michael Knowles' extreme position on a death penalty. That's my fault. I really didn't outline it in the video. I really didn't explain to you how extreme he is. He's much closer to places like Iran. Saudi Arabia, every Muslim country, um, China, North Korea, than he is to the Catholic Church. He just thinks everybody should die. I didn't think people would be so ignorant of that, and that's my fault for not explaining how extreme he is. Um, the second thing I really didn't expect was for people to not know the history of the Catholic abolition movement, the movement within the Catholic Church for the abolition of the death penalty. It started after World War II, and, and bishops around the world, even including in the United States, the bishops of Indiana in the late 1960s, the USCCB in the early 1980s, have been trying to abolish the death penalty. But it seemed like with traditional Catholics, it seemed like once St. Thomas Aquinas wrote on the death penalty, people just think it was a settled issue. But it wasn't. And so I, I was really struck by people being uninformed about the history of that movement. So I'll talk a little bit about that. 
Um, but then we're going to get, like I said, Jason's transition to Nova Soto. And then we're going to talk about the FBI actually did have snitches. I mean, informants in um, the SSPX in Richmond, Virginia. So they were setting up a whole um, snitch program, a whole CI program, criminal informants, to, to, to do something there. So we're going to talk about that. But do me a favor, hit that like, share, and sub note and notification button if you have not already. I'd like to give a big shout out to all my sponsors, those on Patreon and the YouTube members. As I like always, I like to tell you, thanks for paying the bills around here. I appreciate it. And if you can, how about you consider being a sponsor of the show? Um, so one of the perks is you become a lifetime member of St. Dominic's Media which means that you get lifetime access to all of our courses, all of our books that we've printed. You get the the digital access to the digital version. And um, the other big perk is you can just get to tell people like, hey, I support David O. Gray. I might give you a T-shirt or something like that down the road. So just click on the link below for more information. But now let's get into the show. Jason, welcome in. Hey, how's it going? Man, good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. Um, hey, one quick little thing. We've known each other all these years, and you've never got my last name right. It's Izolt, not Izolt. You know, I was debating. I forgot to ask you before <laughs> you brought, came in because I was like, I haven't called you by your whole name in so long. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, Jason Izolt. But, yeah, yes, Jason, um, we'll unpack Jason, you know, more. But, yeah, we've, we've known Jason. I've known him over a decade we used to we go all the way back to a norris Odo parish st matthew the apostle in, in mm. Columbus, outside columbus ohio where we were we were confirmation teachers right confirmation that's right <laughs> and we had a whole crew man we had we had some good times so we jason, did we did we had a great time and jason got his uh correct me if i'm wrong but we got our master of arts degrees about the same time i, I went to ohio dominican right there in columbus you and i think did, you yep. went to holy apostles no, I got mine through St. Joseph College in Standish, Maine. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah. And um, Jason's all. Jason does a lot of things, man. So he's he's um he has a professional degree in theology, but also he's a high school uh, principal. I am. He's a, a notable DJ in Columbus. If you're looking for a DJ in Columbus, <laughs> so I don't know if notable is the right <laughs> word, but. I've been I don't doing know, it for man. a long time, yeah. I don't know, man. People are always talking about DJ Tank, man. Is that that's that's, that's you still go by that, right? <laughs> um <laughs> DJ Tank. Oh, that goes back to my days uh DJing on OSU's campus way back when, man. Oh. You saw the movie Old School with Will Farrell? Yeah. DJ Tank came from Frank the Tank. Oh I had a buddy that started calling me DJ Tank. That's I guess hilarious. Frank and I had some uh, similar characteristics back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> that dates you, so that let, yeah, that's, so yeah, it does. How long it does. Been DJing. <laughs> well, I've been DJing much longer than uh, than the name DJ Tank. Oh, okay, I started DJing in the early mid nineties. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're good. You're good, man. I remember our friend Don got married. Man, you were DJing yeah. at reception. Man, you did a great I, job. I man. did his reception. Yeah, yeah. And um, Jason also Don's got a few kids now, man. I think three kids. Yeah. Yeah. They got twins. In fact, yeah, twins mm -hmm. and a girl, man. Yeah. Maybe four kids it. now. I'm not sure. <laughs> Lots of kids. Good Catholic, Catholic family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, most importantly, Jason himself, he, you know, he's a father, um, dad, and I'm um, convert, right? Or, or revert? Oh, uh, revert. 
revert. revert I was yeah. raised in the faith. Uh, unfortunately, like so many of us, uh, I stepped away mid-teens, uh, right after confirmation, and uh, came back in my late 20s. And it was that leaving uh, right after confirmation that was one of the reasons why I wanted to come back and teach confirmation and uh, hopefully help some of those young men uh, not make some of the same mistakes I did. So, Yeah, 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 that's cool, man. Um, so get to so we'll um be having some comments as we go along, of course. I like for people to have some feedback. So Trina's coming in, she says, Um, appreciate the video, of course. Yes, and something, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, a different perspective on what the church is teaching on death penalty. Yeah, that's again, yeah, something you don't really hear from Catholics. Uh, got some of the usual suspects here. Welcome in, everyone. If you guys have any questions, uh, Jason in particular, when we get to a story or about what we're talking about, yeah, feel free to chime in. You're definitely part of the show. I want to hop in, though, uh, first, Jason, with the, you know, Divine Mercy. So we have what's mm -hmm. called, what church calls Divine Mercy Sunday coming up um, this Sunday. When I became a Catholic in 2006, um, it's really just, it's always been there because I think Pope John Paul, well, St. Pope John II, I think in 2000, he promulgated. Yeah, 2000, uh, when he uh, canonized uh, Sister Faustina. Right. And, so. um, and yes, yeah, so, you know, so with, you know, with the canonization, yeah, he, he came out the plenary indulgences and it's basically that if you, I guess it's like any plenary indulgence, you have to be free from any attached to any grave You have to sin. be free from the attachment of sin, which is, is the one that gets most of us. Um, you know, we, we get a lot of partial indulgences, but I, yeah. I don't know that I've ever qualified for a plenary indulgence because it's, it's that total freedom of that attachment to any and all sin and yeah. I, i'm human you know so there's yeah. always some attachment to some sin out there uh my biggest sin is is just my mouth you know <laughs> my wife and my kids they hate it you know uh, and uh, you know I, I i tell my wife from time to time i said you know i don't i don't beat her the kids yeah. I don't squander my money. I, I'm yeah. not an alcoholic. Yeah. If the worst yeah. thing you have to worry about with me is the F word coming out of my mouth, <laughs> I think we've got it pretty good. But, you know, even with that, I, I, I do take my foul language with me to the confessional quite frequently, you know. Oh, wow. It, 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 it is. You know, it's, it's one of those things that I want to work on. I want to yeah. be better. Um, yeah. But it just so freely just flies out of my mouth so easily. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm saying, saying like, I, I think I, I'm I'm good for a good pop off too. You know, when just it's not so much the cursing, but it's more like just smart, unnecessary comments, mm -hmm. and like being sharp with my mouth around. The oh eye. yeah. And so for Lynch, that's why I gave up for Lynch. I said for Lynch, I'm just gonna be more patient. <clears throat> mm -hmm. If somebody asks me a question around the house, I'm not going. I'm not going to treat them like they ask me a stupid question. Mm -hmm. So I'm just gonna be more patient. I, I think, and I, hopefully, it's been. I know it's myself being nicer, and I know it's people being nicer to me around the house. So, um, so yeah, I think I'm doing better. The only I'm the same as you. I do take it to confession, man. Just, just yeah. uh, being a, um, being a, um, an a hole around the house sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, All right. So, so back to divine mercy. Let's go. Yeah. So yeah. So it's been there ever since I became a, a Catholic. So I, I've always known it, right? Um, so I get the criticism of it, especially from traditional Catholics. Um, mm -hmm. 
traditional Catholics tend to, there was a segment of us that, that tend to have, that tend to be very anti-modernist, right? Mm-hmm. So anything after Vatican II, we tend to be suspicious of. And yeah, to a point. Yeah. And and so when this comes along, and I think there's another thing that's working at, at play too here. And so I think John Paul II, he resolves this. So back when the original, uh, when Divine Mercy was suppressed, actually, um, mm-hmm. initially, I think it was pious, I believe. Um, Pius XII, 1959, actually yeah. put it on the uh, on the index yeah. of uh, forbidden books. Forbidden books, yeah. So, yeah. Um, apparently, from John Paul II's perspective, um, a lot of back at that time, books weren't really getting out of Poland because of communism, mm-hmm. and so apparently, um, Italy, the Vatican was working with a bad an Italian bad translation of St. Uh, Faustina's diary. That's what they say. That, that's what they say. So this is the story. Let me get they through this. So, yeah, let me, let, me, let me tell the story, all right? Mm-hmm. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> so so um, there's places in her diary where she says, um, you know, I am the divine mercy, where the translation says that she is, where that Jesus is. You know, there's some nuances like this or some bad translations like this, so to speak. So John Paul II, he's actually from Poland. Apparently he has a deeper understanding of St. Faustina in the diary. So when he comes along, Mm-hmm. He's Polish. He canonizes Saint Faustina and, mm-hmm. and, and does the um, but but that's still, but that's that's still a rub, I think, for traditional Catholics that that issue. I think it is, and I think if if it hadn't been for a Polish pope, mm-hmm. I don't think no. uh, Faustina would have been um, canonized. I don't think uh, Divine Mercy would be what it is today. Um, also, if it wasn't for such a, a, a visible, charismatic pope that everybody, everybody in the 80s and 90s and the 2000s loved John Paul II, you know? Um, now, granted, you know, there was someone in your fringe uh, that, that didn't like him or, you know, thought he was, you know, too progressive or, you know, whatever. But as a traditional Catholic, as, as one who, um, you know, worships in an oratory that was established by Ecclesia Dei. Mm-hmm. Um, I owe a lot to John Paul II because in 1988, you know, he he issued Ecclesia Dei, which started that, you know, that that uh, division within the church. Um, you know, he uh, welcomed uh, the FSSP, uh, the Fraternity of St. Peter, into the church in 1988 when certain members of the SSPX um fled after the excommunication of uh, Lefebvre and the four bishops that he um, that he consecrated. And then in 1990, uh, the ICKSP was formed. Um, and again, given that same benefit that the FSSP was given. Yeah. So um, I owe a lot to John Paul II. And um, as far as divine mercy goes, um, from a from my own personal perspective, um, I think it's okay as a as a private devotion. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know a lot of people who who pray it, who say that it brings them closer to God. Um, you and I have a, a mutual friend who claims to have received several graces, and even a small miracle through oh, wow. praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I believe that God hears our prayers and I believe that God answers our prayers, even if we don't pray them exactly the way that the church has always told us to pray them. Um, but as a, 
as a big church-wide uh, thing, um, I I don't I don't like that for Divine Mercy. Um, you know, I always remember as a kid, you know, the Sunday after Easter was Low Sunday, mm-hmm. and you know, Easter Sunday is that high. It's it's that it's that biggest celebration of the year, and then the week after is is a much lower celebration. I mean, how can you follow Easter? You know, anything following Easter is going to be low. So, you know, it was that, you know, that mm-hmm. low Sunday. Um, I always like the term Quasimodo Sunday. Um, I believe that comes from the first words in, in the introit of this Sunday's mass. And I was always a fan of uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. And uh, in that story, the archdeacon who uh, brings in Quasimodo found him on low Sunday. So he named him Quasimodo after the name of that Sunday. Oh, so, um, yeah. You know, that's just me. I'm 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 a traditionalist through and through. Although I enjoy uh, modern things, you know, the fact that we're able to sit here. I'm in Gehanna, Ohio. You're in Germany, and you know, we're able to talk to each other face to face like we haven't done in years. Yeah. I love modern technology, and I think that as traditionalist Catholics, I think we need to embrace modern things, modern technology, modern ways of communication so that we can evangelize um, in a traditional manner using modern technology. So modern is not all bad. Modernism can sometimes get pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, Colin says, I hear you, Jason. He's going back to what we were talking about before. Uh, We're all human, taming the tongue. (laughs) We are. We will challenge. Uh, we will challenge this until our last day. Yeah, awesome. Colin. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I never really thought about that. The distinction between some sort of church mandated mm-hmm. devotion versus private devotion. Right. Um, I, I think that's right. a, a good distinction and probably and, a good place to be. I think if if you have a parish where there's probably an overwhelming a number of people. Who have that devotion? Maybe I can see how a priest mm-hmm. um, has some sort of accommodation here. But also the plenary indulgence—it doesn't have to take place during, you know, the Sunday Mass. Um, right. You can, it can take place in a, a blessed sacrament room, right? You know, in front mm-hmm. of, you know, mm-hmm. during the, the blessed sacrament. So absolutely. Um, so there's an option for it just to be a private devotion. Absolutely, and you know, the thing is, is I, I don't even mind, you know, like priests that want to, you know, offer public you know, chaplet divine mercy, you know, on, you know, Fridays or Sundays or Tuesdays or whatever day they want to do it, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I think having a day called divine mercy Sunday and, you know, overshadowing what was low Sunday, what was Quasimodo Sunday with this new devotion, that is where I disagree. And as a human being, I'm free to disagree as a faithful Catholic. I'm free to disagree with certain devotions that the church has. I'm not free to disagree with, you know, dogma. I'm not free to disagree right. with doctrine, right. Right. you know, but I, I am free to disagree with, with these, with these certain devotions, you know, like yeah. I don't pray the luminous mysteries of the rosary, you know, really? When, really? when John Paul II issued those in 2002, he even stated they were an option. Right. But yet right. everywhere you look, it's the luminous mysteries on Thursday. Yeah, that's, that's it doesn't yeah, have yeah. to be, you know. Yeah, yeah, so right I've got a rosary that my grandfather gave me for my um, confirmation, and it has um, it has a little uh, 
thing that has like three plates on it. And each one of the plates has the mysteries of the rosary. Well, mm-hmm. when I was confirmed, there were only 15 mysteries. So <laughs> I don't I don't pray the luminous. I don't have anything against them. Um, yeah. I think anything that we can do to expose uh, Catholics to more scripture is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the luminous mysteries are definitely scriptural. And, you know, they're definitely, um, you know, events in Christ's life. So there's yeah. nothing at all wrong with them. Yeah. I just personally choose not to pray them. Yeah, yeah. I wish there were seven mysteries. So it, it just seems to me, you know, because you get there on Wednesday, right? And then you got to start over. And then um, and then there's Sunday. It just, I just wish there was like a, a, a number that was divisible by seven that would make mm-hmm more sense to me. I, I just have that thing with numbers. But yeah. uh with divine mercy, I think my, my devotion has always been private. Um mm-hmm. especially when I was in, you know, um, as a Stephen ministers and when I was uh, working with inmates who were on death row mm-hmm. and you know I always pray divine mercy. Uh, especially yeah. Yeah. the chaplet with some of them who are dying. Mm-hmm. Can't say, you know, I'm like our friend who experienced a, a miracle, but mm-hmm. um, I do have a, a, I set alarm at three o'clock every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, our divine mercy, you know, I do at least a sign of the cross mm-hmm. if I don't pray the whole chaplet. So yeah, it, it's always been close to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think, I think you may have, you may have swayed me as far as it being, a private devotion. So I, I got I, right. Uh, and, you know, and the, more about one of the other things that has always kind of bugged me about divine mercy. And again, this is just, and again, it's probably my problem um, is, you know, the, the whole idea that, you know, if you pray this chaplet in the presence of the dying, even mm-hmm. the most unrepentant sinner, yeah, their sins can be forgiven, even if they're unrepentant. And, I, I think about all the things that, you know, we read in, in the, in the gospels from Jesus yeah. about, you know, you know, repent, repent, repent. And mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. if I pray this on behalf of someone else who's unrepentant, yeah. they could be forgiven. But then, yeah. but then I think about the, the paralytic, you know, the paralytic who they broke open the roof and they raised him down. And yeah. Jesus didn't say to the paralytic, your faith has saved you. He looked at the friend who lowered him down and said, your faith has saved your friend, you know? And so if, if my, if, if their faith could save, could have the sins of the paralytic forgiven, then maybe my faith in the divine mercy could have the sins of an unrepentant sinner forgiven. You know, it's not my place to determine what God can do in his infinite mercy. You yeah, know? yeah, I'm not going to micromanage um, God. I mean, no, more than I would micromanage him, not. if you like can. in the sacrament of baptism, right? If I would have my child baptized, um, you know, I'm just going to trust in his his mercy, right? Absolutely. Uh, so, so yeah. So that's somewhat of a sacred cow in I think traditional Catholicism. I think you flushed it out um, pretty well there. Uh, I, I think another one when. I was I was just really shocked, Jason. I know you watched the video, you know, on on on, on the um with Michael Knowles and the death. I did. So I, was I really, did. I love I your really... videos, man. I, I always laugh. <laughs> Thanks. And I was, you know, I was really kind of. I know it's a sacred cow. Um, that you know we're not supposed to talk about it as traditional Catholics, mm-hmm. but 
I did want to just outline a couple of things for people who watched that video, and I want to respond to a couple of their their comments. It was like two, basically two comments that I got, especially on Twitter, where people hammered me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing is that this myth that Pope Francis pulled this out of his his butt. Right. Jason and I are trying to do better with words, so I'm not going to say <laughs> what I wanted to say. Um, so this this myth that Pope Francis pulled this out mm-hmm. of um, Uranus, the planet. So that that's a myth. I, I think if we look at the history of Pope Francis as as a priest, as a bishop, he was never the death penalty abolition guy, right? That that was that, that was that was never him. This is really out of his character if you look at his history. So I think what's going on here, I think that the context we don't get in the United States is that since World War II there has been a strong push for the abolition of the mm-hmm. death penalty for what, what, you know, oh, yeah. whatever it is, however you want to judge it. That, that's the fact that worldwide, globally, outside of Muslim countries, mm-hmm. as well as China and Iran, there, there's been in the United States, there's been this push and mm-hmm. bishops around the world. I invite people to go to the USCCB website, type mm-hmm. in death penalty in a search bar. You'll see that ever since the seventies and eighties, They've been pushing it. Go to the Bishop's Conference of Indiana. They were the first in 1960s to push mm-hmm. for the abolition of death penalty. So worldwide, bishops throughout the world have been pushing for this. So when we get to John Paul in the 80s, I mean the 90s, when, no, in the 80s, when we get to um, even Benedict make, making this comment, oh, we can argue about this. When we get to mm-hmm. Francis, they're responding to not a sensitive faithful, but really a sense of the episcopacy about this issue. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think we can call it sensitive faithful if the faith is a faithful it has to include the United States. I don't think mm-hmm. Catholics in the United States are there on a death penalty. We're, we're just not. We still think that, you know, if you rape a child, uh, you, know, you, do, you do certain things that maybe we should snuff you out. I get that, right? Right. But um, so that's the first thing, the myth. The, the second thing I wanted to respond to just about Michael Knowles himself. And I invite people to go take a look at his videos, the things he said about the death penalty. He is very extreme. I don't think he has good faith when it comes to the teaching. I think here's what good faith disagreement sounds like with a magisterial teaching. It sounds like, okay, I believe because I'm a Catholic, but here's where I don't understand, or here's where I think the church can do better. In the case of the death penalty, I do think there's room to say, hey, I believe the church teaches, but hey, the church has to do a better job explaining this word inadmissible. What what does that mean? This is a new word into the lexicon. What does that mean when he says a death penalty is inadmissible? I think there's room. Right. But where Michael Knowles is coming in and he's saying that, hey, I'm very pro death penalty. I don't I I don't see room there. So that that was my critique. critique. And this is my complaint about a lot of american catholics and i don't know about catholics in germany i know the catholic germans bishops are a whole nother situation (laughs) the catholic uh, bishops in germany but as far as like you know rank and file catholics in other countries i i I don't know because i'm not there but in in the united states um because politics is such a huge part of our culture in, in the United States, politics gets wrapped up in our in our faith and in our religion. That's and a lot of a lot of Catholics, um, a lot of traditional Catholics 
tend to be conservative, tend to be Republican. And Republicans, uh, up until very recently, were still very, very, very pro-death penalty. And you're okay. starting to see a, a, a shift in, um, in Republicans are starting to become more like, well, do we absolutely have to have the death penalty? Are there other ways that we can, you know, punish, uh, you know, criminals of heinous crimes without the death penalty? And um, but as a Catholic, we have to separate politics mm. and religion. We can't. We can be Republican or maybe even Democrat. I, I don't know about that one. But we can we can have a political point of view, but we have to be Catholic first. We have yeah. to be Catholic first. And I think Trina, Trina and, right there, I think she comes in with you and she says, I think he I think he's talking about Michael Knowles is following a, his political tradition rather than Catholic tradition. That's, I agree. That's I agree 100% with with what Trina just said. And as you know, we've got like the blue catechism and the green catechism, you know, and I'm a green catechism guy. I, I, I don't I don't like the blue catechism. And I know the only thing that was really changed was the the, the paragraph about the capital punishment. Yeah, two, two, six, seven. But our. Yeah. Yeah, but you know the way it was written in in John Paul II's catechism is that it's not intrinsically evil, right? Right. You know, um, but everything else in that paragraph talks about we need to find other ways to not only punish the criminal but protect society. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I'm a hundred percent on board with abolition of the death penalty here in the United States. I, I don't think we need it. I think we're at a point where supermax prisons and other prisons, we can protect society from extremely violent criminals. Uh, my one my one caveat, and I hate to say there's a caveat here, but what about that that violent criminal who you can't protect the other prisoners from? You know, yeah. maybe he's yeah. killed in prison as well, or maybe he's killed a guard or you know it's just he's not gonna stop no matter what happens i mean we could say well we put him in solitary confinement but then people say well that's cruel and unusual punshment you know so yeah i'm with you there too and and again i I even hate to say caveat because i i I don't i don't support the death penalty and i don't support the death penalty because i believe that as a human being, we're all created in that image and likeness of God, that Imago mm-hmm. Day, as, as you were talking about on, on Monday, you know, yeah. and yeah. yeah, I'm with you as well. I mean, you know, in Youngstown, Ohio, we have, you know, I, I'm sure there's more, but I'm always familiar with the one in Youngstown, Ohio. There is like a, a super max where you, yeah, there is. I, yeah, I, there I think is. you, 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 if you, you, you did, you do get to go outside, but you're outside by your, by yourself i'm mm-hmm. i'm rather extreme i think i don't know if i'm extreme or not but i'm rather extreme on i mean i pope francis didn't include this in the catechism but he said this privacy privately that or you know in letters or on an airplane that he's not even with indefinite you know sentences i am especially when it comes to pedophiles they have mm-hmm. a high recidivism mm-hmm. rate they they, mm-hmm. they they do what they do over and over again Absolutely. I think a lot of them should be locked up indefinitely and and have psychological care, not just locked up for punishment, but treated. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. And, uh, and so I'm 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 you know I'm with in, in with indefinite senses. 
second the second paragraph of that catechism 2267 it, it does talk about though it does talk about what we're talking about we have the technology to keep people keep the public safe we do we do until we mutate and become superheroes right and and we become like the guy you talked about that <laughs> we, it's so the second paragraph of that catechism can still be amended if something happens mm-hmm. you know right it, it still depends on our ability um, our right to self-defense and our ability to keep ourselves safe. Yeah. You're probably hearing the uh, tornado siren in the background. It's it's noon on Wednesday. If you remember from living here in Ohio, they test it every Wednesday. So I do apologize for the background noise. <laughs> oh, it's not wow. an air raid <laughs> siren. We're, we're not being invaded, I promise. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Colin had mentioned the con. Colin, I probably need a little bit more background information. It says, so where do we stand in regards to when it comes to abortion? I know we are all pro-life. That was thrown up at Michael knows. Oh, you sent in the video. Uh, yeah, I think Michael knows he 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 makes a distinction there. He's like all for mm-hmm. life for babies in a womb, mm-hmm. but he he when it comes to outside the womb, right? Um, he may, I think he just well, makes and a distinction. I think the the argument that Michael Knowles is making and a lot of other, even Catholics who are pro death penalty make is the difference between guilty and innocent. And you have the innocent child who has committed no wrong versus a, a criminal who has been, you know, you know, proven guilty in the court of law to a heinous, heinous crime. We're not, you know, we're not executing people for, you know, adultery anymore. We're not executing people for, 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 uh, stealing, you know, we're executing people mainly because they've killed other people, you know? And so Michael Knowles is looking at that. Well, the child is innocent. The, the criminal is not, but, uh, one of those girls did make the point that, you know, there have been innocent people who have been wrongfully accused, uh, wrongfully convicted, and wrongfully executed. Yeah. And, you know, when we're talking about that Imago Day, you know, that image of God that we all as human beings possess, um, I don't know that I want to be on the wrong side of a, uh, of a wrongful conviction. No, you know, no, if no. I, you know, kill somebody, even, you know, state sanctioned, yeah. um, and then later find out that yeah. they were innocent, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that I could live with that. You know, yeah, that's uh, why I don't like people being put in that position because you have to have, you know, a lot of states is the injection. Somebody has to do the injection, so you have to put somebody right. in that position, right? Uh, of 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 killing someone, even though that's right. their, their their job um, for a long time. That's why the Catholic Church. I mean, from in the beginning, you know, if you were a military soldier, mm-hmm. um, you weren't going to get baptized. Of course, this is very early on, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we've always had that concern until we get to somebody like Giovanni Bugatti. I mentioned in the video, he you was did, executioner yeah. of five hundred and sixty-one people. I mean, back then it was even robbery, um, right? Attempted murder, you know, right. extortion. You right. were getting snuffed out, man. Now, so- if, correct me if I'm wrong. He was the executioner for the papal states. The papal he states. was. He was not actually employed by the church. Correct. 
Okay. Because yeah, um, you know, I I think back to like the the, the Inquisition and all those those anti-Catholic people today who, you know, talk about how you know the Catholic Church killed all these people in the Inquisition, and actually no, that's not the case. In fact, it was the Catholic Church who was pleading with the state, whether it was Spain or France yeah. Yeah. or you know these other Germany, these other countries that were uh, participating in the Inquisition. It was the Church who was who was pleading for leniency. And it was their there was their state employed executioners who were yeah. carrying out the executions, not the yeah. church. Now, yeah. granted, you know these were Catholic states, and they were seeking out you know heretics because if you were going to defy God, you were more than likely going to defy the state. So you know, but it was the church who was seeking leniency for these people that was you know trying yeah. to you know commune their sentences and and not see them executed. Yeah. Ah. But if you if you were Jesuit James Martin about 500 years ago, 600 years ago, you were going to get killed. I mean, oh, that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're a heretic. I mean, you're, you're going you're, you're going down. Um, right. But God right. is going to have you. He's going to lift your head in the air. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> there's no there's no consequences for heresy today, as, as, as we see. There's not. Especially. I mean, look at Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, uh, James Martin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I do, I do want a deterrent for heresy, but I just don't want people to die for it. Uh, oh, absolutely uh, not, absolutely <laughs> not. Just you know, defrock them or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. What's um? You know, you you and I, when we were in Columbus, like I said, we started a show. We were at, we were at um, St. Matthew the Apostle. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first got the Columbus Jason, when when I first moved there, I think in 2014 or 15, I, I started off at I think Pius the Ninth or Pius the Tenth. Pius the Tenth. Reynoldsburg, down yeah. in, in Reynoldsburg, mm-hmm. and I left there because I was in confession, and um, um, I can you know, I confess the sin, the sexual impurity, masturbation, mm-hmm. and the priest in the confessional he had told me that um, it was no big deal, you know. He he says he said some gross <sighs> word as well. That I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say, but it's kind of like it was disturbing what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, um, and, and then, yeah, I didn't return to that parish after that. And that's when I mm-hmm. came over to um, St. Matthew. And there's a weekday mm-hmm. mass, and mm-hmm. there was a seminarian there, and he had sung the gospel. And I was so impressed. And so I, I, I largely I stayed there. I, during the mm-hmm. week, though, I, I would tend to go to St. Patrick mm-hmm. down, you know, downtown. Downtown, yeah. The Dominicans. The Dominicans. And I always like yeah. the Dominicans. So, but yeah, for the, for the most part, that's where I stayed until we moved to St. Louis. So, and um, you know, I'll, I guess I'd also go to the Eastern Rites up on the north mm-hmm. side. I would go to the oh, like uh, St. John uh, Chrysostom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so when I got to St. Louis, I would tend to go more, you know, Novus Ordo. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't like the Eastern there. Mm-hmm. The Eastern Rite isn't isn't mm-hmm. done well if you don't have a good cantor, and they they just did in St. Louis. So I would tend to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to the Institute of uh, Christ the King. Oh, and, that um, St. Francis Oratory is oratory, gorgeous. Yeah. St. Francis and, Sales Oratory in St. Louis is amazing. And Father Eugene Morris, C. Eugene Morris, he also has an oratory as, as he well. He does, yeah. And, uh, They're the oratorians of something or another, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, they've given him tremendous, the bishop there has given him tremendous, mm-hmm. um, he's, been, he's treated him well. Yeah. Um, as far as giving him that the space that fits yeah. within, within the motor, motor proprio, mm-hmm. um, no and, you know, you bring up it. Eugene Morris, and uh, my first traditional Latin mass was with Monsignor Eugene Morris. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow, it happened. Wow. It was yeah. a solemn high mass at, at Holy yeah. Family here in Columbus. Oh wow! Yeah, you, was, you you were treated then. You were treated well. I was treated, yeah, and it, and it, it was also uh, a polyphonic setting from the choir. Oh mm. man, it was gorgeous. Yeah. But uh, I, I wanted to bring up one thing real quick. You mentioned uh, a confession experience you had at, at St. Pius X. Um, it was actually a similar confession experience um, right before my confirmation uh, that caused me to leave the church for so long. Um, I grew up in St. Matthew Parish, and um, I'd gone to confession, uh, and you know I was a 14-year-old kid doing what a lot of 14-year-old boys are doing, mm-hmm. and I was actually feeling pretty guilty about it. So I went into confession and, you know, I, I, I told the priest what, what I had done and his exact words to me were welcome to manhood. Are you serious? Welcome to manhood. Yeah. And in I was like, you know, yeah, in the confessional here, I am a 14 year old kid who had been having relations with his girlfriend and felt really bad. I was actually feeling guilty about it. Welcome to manhood is what I was told in the confessional. Um, I, I walked out of the confessional. Um, I got confirmed because, you know, that's what my mother wanted. <clears throat> and then I don't think I went to another Catholic mass uh, off and on. But I didn't come back to the faith for 18 years. Wow. For 18 wow. So years you just, I was you, away. Knew, you knew what you'd done. You, you, I knew what were, I did was wrong. With it. Yeah. And when, when the priest said, welcome to manhood and... I was like, if this is the church's teachings on sexual morality, I, who needs it? You know? Wow. So um, I kind of went off the deep end in the other direction for, uh, for quite a bit of time, and which just made my, my first confession when I came back uh, uh, that much greater. <laughs> um, so it, it, it was, it was, it was, quite, it was uh, quite, a, uh, quite an experience. But, Maybe. you know, I came back to St. Matthew um, even after that experience I had all those years ago, mainly because it was it was my local parish, you know. I, yeah, are you I from that, Are you from that area? Are you I from grew the up Gahanna in area? Gahanna. Yeah, I grew up in Gahanna. Wow. Um, and moved back to Gahanna with my wife and kids because we wanted to raise our kids in Gahanna schools. Wow. So, wow. yeah. For people who are listening, um, oh, and if you're listening on the audio, I'm sorry. Um, just to recap here, I'm speaking with. Um, um uh, thoughts about catholicism this week i have my guest on jason eisolt um he'll Set be back right in, <laughs> <laughs> he'll be back in a couple of weeks as well um talk about some more things but yeah we're we're, we, we're um <coughs> so what is it about so it's people who are listening though gahanna is on the east side of columbus yeah northeast side what's yeah. the charism of gahanna what is it what is it known for um gahanna is pretty diverse um when I grew up, we had a lot of, uh, well, like Macedonians were moving in left and right, you know, so uh, we got a lot of Eastern Europeans. Um, and then in the early 2000s, um, as people continued to flee from the city of Columbus, um, as, you know, the school district in the city of Columbus continued to decline, um, we got a lot more like uh, Somali, um, more African-American, uh, more Hispanic, uh, more Africans. Um, Gahanna is very, very diverse today. And hmm. uh, if, if, if you go to St. Matthew Parish, um, it, 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 is, it is very um, reflective of that diversity. So, yeah, um, yes. yeah. and, you know, 
again, I'm no longer at St. Matthew. Uh, my family and I, we uh, we found the traditional Latin mass, and I think yeah, that's the next thing we're going to talk there? about. I mean, give, give me give um, me some. I mean, give me well, some. Give, give some details about. So I left. So, I left. I left Columbus. I think in 2017, mm-hmm. but you were sort of dabbling then because I remember we talked a I was, little bit about. I was about, dabbling. I was dabbling yeah, in the traditional Latin yeah. mass then. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, probably in like 2012, 2013. Um, I was listening to St. Gabriel Radio, which is our local Catholic radio station, and they actually mentioned on St. Gabriel Radio that there was going to be a traditional solemn high mass at Holy Family that was going to be offered by Monsignor Eugene Morris, who at the time was the rector of the Josephinum, which is our local uh, seminary here in Columbus. And so I was like, you know, I've always wanted to... I've always wanted to check out the traditional Latin Mass. I had always believed that the only differences between the Latin Mass and the Novus Ordo were the orientation of the priest and the language. So I figured he's facing the altar and it's in Latin, you know? So um, I went to this first traditional Latin Mass. And like I said, it was a solemn high Mass. The choir was singing a polyphonic setting. It was probably one of the most beautiful things still to this day that I've ever seen. Um, and when when the organ started up and the choir started singing, it, it was as if the heavens had opened up and you could hear the angels singing, you know. Wow. And wow. I was hooked right from the get-go. I had no clue what was happening, you know. Um, I, I, I took one of those red books out of the back. Um, if, if you've ever been to a traditional Latin mass, and you've seen uh, the little red books that they have in the back. I was trying to follow along, and I couldn't. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't I think know what was happening. Everyone tries to do, and it's you like know? always a complete and, fail. But a complete fail. Absolute failure, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, so I, I was like, you know, after about 15, 20 minutes of where am I? I put the red book down, and I, I just, I started looking for things that were familiar, you know. Mm-hmm. So I heard the Kyrie. And I knew okay. that Kyrie Eleison was Lord have mercy. So I'm like, okay, Lord have mercy. We're at the Lord have mercy. Um, I, you know, I heard them sing the Gloria. I knew Gloria and Excelsis Deo. I, I was like, all right, great. We're at the Gloria. I know this. Um, you know, um, they did the apostle. Uh, they, they, they did the epistle and they did the gospel reading, and they even reread them in English uh, before the sermon. So I was like, all right, great. At least there's a little bit of English here. I'm, I'm in good shape. And, um, you know, the, uh, the, the Agnus Dei and the, the, the Sanctus and the, the Potter Noster, they were all there. And okay. I was like, okay, so I'm, I'm starting to, I'm starting to recognize these things. Mm-hmm. And so. Wait, 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 hold on. You're sitting there and you're waiting for the sign of peace, right? I, no, <laughs> I, I mean, you can't, you can't wait sign to turn of, the around sign of peace was one thing. I never, I never, I never liked the sign of peace. Um, <laughs> it just, it seemed out of place. It was, it was, yeah. it was at the wrong place in the mass, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the sign of peace should have either been at the very beginning or at the very end, but yeah. putting it where they put it didn't make sense. And, you know, even in, in the traditional Latin mass, when you have a solemn high mass, and you've got what they call the kiss of peace or the pax. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it takes place between the priest and the deacon, and then yeah. the deacon and the subdeacon. Yeah. And then if there's any other clergy present sitting in yeah. choir, then yeah. it'll go to them. But yeah. as that's happening, 
the priest continues with what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the Novus Ordo, you know, while everybody's hugging and shaking hands, you know, the priest is waiting for everybody to finish before he moves on. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it just, it, 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 it's in a weird and an awkward place. It's a bit awkward. It is. It, it, it's just awkward, you know? And, um, you know, one thing I loved when they, when they did the, our father, the, the, the Potter Noster, nobody, nobody put their hands in the air. Nobody was holding hands. You know, it was, it, it was actually the way it was, it was meant to be. And, yeah. you know, so it, even if, if you read the germ, which kind of governs the Novus Ordo, um, it says what the priest is supposed to do. The priest is supposed to stand in the Oren's posture. And even then, the Oren's posture in the traditional Latin mass, the, the, the hands are no more than, than shoulder width apart. Right. You know, they're not stretched out as far as they can stretch, yeah. you know, and um, it, the, the germ doesn't govern how the faithful should stand. You know, right. and the idea is when the germ is silent, the, the the common practice is to stand with your either your hands folded like this or like this in prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. essentially mimic what the deacon or the the other ministers, acolyte servers are doing, which right. is standing with their hands folded. Yeah. So yeah. I was very pleased in my first Latin mass that nobody was holding hands or you know stretching <laughs> their arms out. You know, um, so. But like I said, I absolutely I fell in love with it, and I went. But back. that's that's a long. But that's kind of like seeing that's like falling in love at first sight with the girl, right? But you and don't make I, a move until because that's 2013 or whatever. Yeah, you don't make a move until five years later, right? Well, and 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 here's what happened. I would go to Latin masses for you know holy days of obligation and things like that. When my wife was at work, my you know. My wife or my kids went down to visit my wife's parents I, over the weekend. I would go to traditional Latin mass on Sunday. My wife wasn't ready for it yet, you know. Okay, and okay. my wife, um, she's still in the process of conversion. Um, she was born in a um, evangelical. She was raised in like a Southern Ohio evangelical Protestant denomination, non-denominational type stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, over the years, you know, she's been going to mass with me since 2011. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's you know, yeah, she's always there. And yeah, I yeah. think yeah. she's ready to convert. Um, she tells me she's she's ready. Um, it's just we need to. She's a very busy woman with her job. She does in home care for a young man with with uh, cerebral palsy, oh, wow. and she's the only caretaker in in their home. Wow. So, um, yeah, that's pretty as demanding. much as she doesn't want to be, she's like at their beck and call. Um. Yeah. So finding the time to sit down with our priest and um, go through the process of, of formation um, has just been difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, un- unlike, you know, a, a Novus Ordo parish, she's not going to have to do like a year of our CIA. Um, she'll meet with, with, our, with our priest, and when he f- feels she's ready, you know, she'll she'll be confirmed and she'll receive her first communion. Oh wow, yeah, um, that's wonderful. Yeah, so yeah, that's kind of how and I came like I said, church. she's been going to mass with me for ten years. She's you know been with me through my master's degree in theology, so we've had a lot of conversation. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if if our priest has one conversation with her and says, "You're not Catholic already." <laughs> so you know, just the formality of confirming her and giving her first communion, probably. But yeah, mm-hmm. so it's just a matter of, you know, when she's ready, she's ready. But she wasn't ready for the Latin Mass yet. 
you know? And, um, so I would go by myself. I would, you know, sometimes I would, I would go to an early Latin mass and then go to Novus Ordo mass with the family, you know? So I I would, I would do both on Sundays for a while. And then what it, what eventually came down to was she had something that she wanted to do on a Sunday, uh, early afternoon that would have conflicted with our mass time at St. Matthew. And she was like, you want to go to the Latin mass tomorrow? I was like, <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. She was like, yeah. And so it was at 830 in the morning then. Um, and we went and I think her first Latin mass was maybe a low mass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she really liked the contemplative nature of the low yeah, mass. Yeah. That, that's like, a good thing. I think that's a good. She's like, she's like, there's something to be said about the yeah. silence. Of, yeah, of that's a, definitely that's a good. The low mass is a good way to, to slide someone into it. I, it I is. Think because, yeah, yeah. Especially if they already, <clears throat> excuse me. Especially if they already have a very strong prayer life, yeah. um, giving them the opportunity to go to a low mass and just contemplate the liturgy yeah, yeah. is is great, you know. And yeah. so we went the next week and we got a high mass, and then mm-hmm. we went the next week and it was a Dominican. Uh, high mass and then we went the next week and it was a solemn high mass so four weeks in a row she saw four different iterations of the traditional latin mass wow she was hooked hooked. Um, wow that's tremendous so you know we were going to holy family over on west broad uh down in franklinton you know for um several years until um our former bishop uh bishop brennan uh, welcomed the Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest uh, mm-hmm. to the Diocese of Columbus. Mm-hmm. And uh, they um, they erected the parish or the oratory uh, in October of 2020. So we've yeah. been at St. Leo ever since. You know? What was the, um, I mean, what, why move from Holy Family? And is Holy Family still, a, uh, do they still offer the traditional Latin Mass? There? They do not. They do not offer the traditional Latin Mass mm-hmm. anymore. Um, in fact, uh, recently, <laughs> Uh, Holy Family was given to the Mercedarians. Uh, so we have a we have a group of, of Mercedarian priests now who are offering Mass at Holy Family. They do, a, I say reverent Novus Ordo, and I mean that uh, when it comes to Holy Family, they do a very good job. Um, I'd love to see them offer it in Latin, the Novus Ordo in Latin. Um, yeah. I'd actually love to see them just, offer the traditional latin mass you know it's like if, if you're going to offer the novus ordo in latin why stop there why not just already at already at orientum yeah it's at orientum it has okay. been uh for a long time i don't know if you remember father stotch daily when he was at holy family yeah he had the uh the uh the altar table the cramner table if you want to call it that that was in the middle of the sanctuary the the freestanding altar he had it dismantled um it uh he didn't have it destroyed uh because again it was blessed so you know you don't want to get rid of it um but he had it uh dismantled and it was turned into a uh a shelf that's in the back of the church that now has um the pieta on it oh wow so um and that's just like at saint leo's um when they came in and they recovered saint leo's back in the 1980s they tore down the altar rails and they used the altar rails to build the freestanding altar table that was in the middle of the sanctuary. Oh, 
Mm-hmm. So when the Institute of Christ the King came in, they took the altar table down, took it apart, sent the rails to Italy to have the marble and everything matched, and they reinstalled the original altar rails back in St. Leo. So oh, wow. what they what was originally the altar rails became the freestanding Cramner table have oh, now wow. become the altar rails again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing I love about the Diocese of Columbus is just how diverse it is with it's very diverse, the liturgical yeah. expression, man. Just mm-hmm. anything you want, even if from what I'm hearing with you from you, the um, Holy Family has a reverence nervous ordo. It, it, it's Latin, I mean, it's close to what Vatican II is actually talking about in um, mm-hmm. um, um, um Sanctum Concilium, what's that? Sacrosanctum Concilium. Concilium, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think it's close to that. Um, right. But then you also have a St. Patrick's, which is a reverent Norvis Ordo, but... Reverent-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the Dominicans yeah. today aren't quite as reverent as some of the older ones were. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, but you, but then you have the Easterns. You, I mean, it's just... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's everything in the diocese. We have several African American parishes as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Saint Dominic's yeah. and uh, Holy Rosary Saint John's, yeah. and uh, yeah. I think there might be one more. Uh, oh, we've wow. got several, uh, several Hispanic parishes, you know. Um, Whole parishes, not just the one o'clock mass. Right. Okay. Whole parishes that are, you know, Spanish masses or hybrid Spanish English masses or that are occupied that are attended by many, many, many Hispanics, you know? So, um, we've got Vietnamese, Korean, uh, Haitian, uh, communities, you know, other African communities here in the diocese of Columbus. So the diocese of Columbus is becoming very diverse. And one of the things that I love about our new Bishop, uh, he's, you know, Bishop Fernandez, great guy. Um, he came and, uh, we did a uh, solemn high mass with pontifical assistance at the throne uh, back in, I want to say, February or early March. And uh, he's going to be visiting us again for the Feast of Corpus Christi on June 8th. What that mass is going to look like, I don't know yet. But um, I just love that, you know, our, our bishop himself is a diverse guy. He's, you know, his family is is from India. Yeah. You know, um, he was a traditional Latin mass chaplain in the archdiocese of Cincinnati yeah. um, a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, he definitely has shown that he appreciates the diversity of the church. Mm-hmm. And this may sound strange coming from a traditionalist, but I believe that our church is big enough for all kinds of different faith expressions. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. as long as, as long as we allow for the traditional Latin mass, if we're yeah, not going to allow the traditional Latin mass, then I think we should get rid of all expression. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, what you're talking about, this, I mean, there's a section in, in, in the catechism uh, right before, right when, right before the sacrament section began that, that talks about the, the diversity of liturgical expression. That's always yeah. been the, the Catholic um, idea and Catholic reality right. that the essence of the liturgy is one is Jesus Christ. Well, the, the Catholic the means universal, protects, right? Yeah. And so geez, the church itself um, protects that part of the liturgy, which cannot be changed ever. Mm-hmm. But as far as the expressions of how that essence is delivered, mm-hmm. it's always been many, always. Oh, and, until, yeah, there has. And, there and, has. Until 15, was it? When, when did um, um, the, the, the Reformed Roman rites? Oh, yeah. 
Pius uh, V in 1570 yeah. with, with the yeah, 1570, his, his, uh, yeah. uh, his proclamation of a quo uh, quo primum. Pro primum, uh, yeah. The, so the, it became, the Roman, yeah, the Roman right became the universal right unless um, the right you were celebrating was more than 200 years old. 200 so years the Dominicans, old, so. the Franciscans, the Jesuits, right. uh, many of them, you know, were spared and their 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 forms of expression continued. Right. But so you know, there became was, there much was so more, much. It became much more narrow thing then, and it was a good did, reform because liturgy had really become messy. It did, and uncontrollable. Um, Everybody just had a liturgy, right? Jason had a liturgy, right? Um, so, I could have, yeah. <laughs> um, but so that's that's the Catholic idea, and it's always been it's always been that way. So this idea of what um, we could talk about this in another show more in detail. We got to get to the FBI thing, but I think so. I think this idea of Pope Francis of um, his restrictions of the traditional Latin mass, I think, I think it's, it goes against what the catechism is saying itself. Um, it's mm-hmm. less, it's making it less diverse instead of more diverse. So. Right. Right. And, you know, again, when you think about like Thomas Aquinas and like the principle of subsidiarity, you know, where the person who's closest to the situation is the one who deals with the situation. And, you know, our, our, our bishops are supposed to be, the head of the church in their diocese. And yet we have people like Cardinal Roach now who are demanding that bishops forbid the Latin mass, who are demanding that uh, the Latin mass be taken out of what we call parochial churches. Um, And I don't even know so much if it's Pope Francis as much as it's Cardinal Roach. Right, you know? right, right, and, right. Yeah, I mean, you wrote an essay over at Catholic Three Six Five. You guys get a chance. I'm speaking with Jason Izos. He's a, he's a, amongst many things that he he does. He's also a writer, and he he writes um, primarily over at Catholic Three Six Five, or is it Three Six Five Catholic? Catholic Three Six Five dot com. Catholic Three Six Five dot com. I'm looking up there. He recently wrote an, an essay about. That issue, his most notable issue, of course, kind of speaking what we were speaking about earlier, was the Oran's poster. Oh man, during... that thing still pops up in my social media. Yeah, I've yeah. that thing's probably had a million and a half impressions now in the last yeah, yeah. years. Yeah, it's, so, it's, it's, it's good, man. It has that thing has legs? It upset a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, upset a lot of people as well was the um, so we had heard earlier this year, I think in January. That this report came out that was leaked about the FBI. Um, we thought they were thinking about, or there was some sort of report that they mm-hmm. should mm-hmm. infiltrate Catholic churches. But apparently, after deeper investigation, it's, it's come out um, um, that they actually did infiltrate, at least they had one informant in mm-hmm. SSPX Society, St. Pius X, a 10th parish in Richmond mm-hmm. and that they had plans to actually develop um, more informants there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was I thought that was, what did you think about that when you, when you actually heard that they actually were oh, developing gosh. some intel? You know, there? I'll tell you, it, it's it's <sighs> I don't put anything past our not just our current administration, but any government administration, whether it's in our country or, or any other, um, you know, it's just, I, I hate to say, I, I wish 
I was surprised, but I wasn't. Um, you know, Catholics in general and traditional Catholics specifically um, have kind of this bad rap for being like ultra conservative. You know, we're we're rad trads, right? Of uh, you know, traditional Catholics, we're radical traditional Catholics. You know, we're stuck in the 1950s or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, I wasn't surprised. Um, <clears throat> I was a little hurt, though. I mean, like the fact that, you know, if you were to step into into our oratory parish at, at St. Leo, you're going to find an amazing group of human beings. You're going to find people who love God. You're going to yeah. find people who care about each other. You're going to find people who care about their community, you know, and we go back to that whole Imago Day thing that you were talking about on Monday. And, you know, I, I don't love people because they're Catholic. Mm -hmm. I don't love people because they're straight or because they have money or because they're a certain color or because Mm -hmm. they're, you know, um, a certain gender identity or whatever. I love people because I'm Catholic and mm. they are created in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I, my faith may teach me and I may, I may believe that what someone is doing is sinful. What someone is doing is not God's will for them. Yeah. But I would be lying if I said I've never done anything sinful that mm-hmm. I've never defied God's will for me. Yeah. You know, I don't hate somebody because they sin or they sin differently than me. <laughs> sin you differently. <laughs> they sin differently than I do. You know, that's a good, that's a good I word. Mean, yeah. <laughs> my sins are okay, but yours aren't. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And that's, know? I think that's the one and, thing that angered me about the report, Jason. Um, it says in this letter to Ray, um, FBI director, it says, in addition to engaging in outreach to the leadership of um, other SSPX chapels in the Richmond area. Um, the, the, the goal was to sensitize these congregations to the warning signs of radicalization and to enlist their assistance to serve as suspicious um, activity tripwires. Basically, they, they were trying to recruit people in the parish to be looking out for other parishioners who may right. be radical. Or right? listening to the, to, to the priest's sermon to see if he's saying anything that, you know. And- right. You know, I'll tell you, and that's really what sucks here is, you know, there are so many great sermons by traditional priests that could be shared with the world. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these traditional priests are afraid to share transcripts or share audio recordings of their sermons out of fear that somebody might even take the slightest, smallest thing that's been said and turn it into this, this, this giant mountain. You yeah, know, you, you, you could get and definitely cool to like so, Father Altman and other priests. Yeah, sure. yeah. You know, the, the whole coalition yeah. of, of canceled priests, you know. Yeah. Um, Father Altman, by the way, in my opinion, did absolutely nothing wrong. You know, um, yeah. Father uh, Father Frank Pavone. I have a lot of respect for his, you know, for Priests for Life and, you know, for the things that he has done over the years. Um, his tactics sometimes are a little questionable. I, I wasn't a fan of the whole, you know, aborted baby on, on the altar thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that was enough to cancel him. Um, but, you know, sometimes drastic 
drastic measures need to be taken. You know, oh, yeah. people have talked about what that aborted baby looked like on that altar. So yeah. he got people talking, which yeah. I think is what he was trying to do. Um, yeah. But you're talking about an altar. I mean, that's just something you don't do. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm okay with like you know, the, the, the images of, of aborted babies, you know, outside, you know, in public. I'm okay with that because yeah. people need to be brought face to face with what abortion looks like. Right. You know. And I think the the whole FBI thing is well. The reason why it deeply angered me this outreach to the SP, SPX and also says they're looking at um, mainline Catholic parishes and yeah. diocesan leadership, mm-hmm. um, leveraging them as assets as well. Is uh, that the FBI is looking at Catholics when the, the fact of the matter is that it's Catholics who are being attacked. Um, and it's yeah, you know, it Christians altogether. We have yeah, we had the recent thing um, with with the the transgender person just going into a school. School killing kids and who's you know he was a stu- a stu- he she was a student there, and then there was another one that was recently discovered before another transgender who's recently discovered and transgenders they have the largest growing gun clubs right now so and, and not only transgenders but the the abortion clinics and and mm-hmm. uh, um, I'm sorry abortion um, uh, care facilities for women who are pregnant those being attacked so it's, it's Catholics and Christians mm-hmm. of good faith. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, who are being attacked, and they yet are. the FBI is looking at us as as the threat. Not not saying, of course, there's. I'm sure there's fringe. You know, there's, there's radical there's people fringe everywhere. Every, everywhere, 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 yeah. everywhere, right? But mm-hmm. um, I don't think Catholics are the ones that are forming all these gun clubs or, or and are going out and, and shooting people. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. I know some good, faithful, traditional Catholics that love guns. You know. Because guns are fun to shoot, you know. They really are. Um, it's it, it's a sport, you know. Um, and also, you know, the the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution gives us the right to to own a gun, whether it's for personal protection, hunting, sport, you know. Um, do I believe that everybody should have free access to a gun? No, uh, and I hope. You know, my friends that are Second Amendment supporters don't come after me for saying this. But and all of us who support the Second Amendment, we all know somebody who shouldn't have their hands on a gun. Have you ever like been to a gun range and that one guy shows up and they're like, oh, crap. You know, Jimmy's here. (laughs) Duck, you know. There's that yeah, one know, guy who's shooting on a gun. You know, as soon as he comes in, you can spot him a mile away. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, people who have, you know, people who have a felony, uh, you know, who haven't paid their debt to society shouldn't have a gun. You know, I mean, yeah, I I would say especially violent. Violent I I, I wouldn't say the guy who has a felony because he didn't pay child support. Um, No, you're right. You're violent, violent felonies. People who have, you know, previous gun uh, crimes or, you know, assault, you know, crimes, you know, the guy who's got, you know, the white collar felony, you know, no, no, he, he yeah. never did anything to, to physically hurt anybody. Um, yeah. I don't think he should be, you know, forbidden to own a gun, but you know, people who have violent criminal pasts shouldn't have a gun, you know, I, and yeah. you know, it, it's, it's the second amendment. It gives us that right. But you know, like every other amendment there, there has to be limitations, you know, that's, exactly. that's where our limited form of government comes from, you yeah, know? Exactly. Yeah. But Jason, yeah, no. man, it's good. Um, I hear f- um, um the gaze of my wife Felicia, who you know, I feel her gaze behind a door. 
Okay. Um, I'm supposed to be on a treadmill right now with her. So oh, um, I'll see you in a couple weeks, man. Thanks well, for coming. It's good talk. Gaze, I wasn't thinking G A Z E. I was at first thinking G A Y S. So I'm glad you <laughs> clarified that for me. <laughs> then you said your wife, so I knew gaze. it wasn't gays. You know, <laughs> no, not behind my door, <laughs> not behind your door. No, in the closet. <laughs> That's funny. I have to edit that. Oh up. gosh, <laughs> in the closet. <laughs> That's just so loaded. Oh my gosh, it's funny. Right. Oh good. Yeah, but I, um, I'll see you. Hopefully, I'll see you in a couple weeks, man. A couple weeks, show. yeah. It'll, it'll have to be an uh, an evening for me that time, but yeah, yeah, definitely do this again. Awesome, awesome. And thanks for watching, everyone. Appreciate all your comments. And um, I will see you next week. And until then, until next time, blessings and shalom to you and to yours. Thanks a lot. Hovering over the skies of a post-Christian society, we have...